When American comedian and actor Betty White died, fans lamented the fact that she had just missed making it to her 100th birthday. They felt she'd been robbed of achieving a significant life moment. Some researchers think that this century could see more people making it to that moment and perhaps beyond. That's the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media journalism and film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, chair of Miami Statistics Department. Our guest today is Michael Pierce, a fourth-year PhD student in statistics at the University of Washington. His primary research interests include non-parametric theory and Bayesian models applied to the social sciences. He spent two summers as an applied statistics intern with the Applied Math Research Group at Poeing Research and Technology. Pierce is also the co-author of a significance article exploring whether we could see a record number of people breaking the century mark in the coming century. So Michael Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I guess before we get started, if you could just talk about the study that you were writing about for significance and sort of what you guys did and and maybe why you felt compelled to, to study this. Sure. Happy to. So the key idea is that people really do care about how long humans can live. This is a big question that's really central to a lot of our identity as, as a species. And a lot of people in the past have studied this problem and they've studied it from many different lens. Some of them are biologists who study various biological qualities that we may or may not have that may indicate how long we can live, if there's a cap to the human lifespan, that sort of thing. And on the other side, there's a lot of demographers who've studied this problem. This relates to broader questions over population sizes, fertility rates, those sorts of things, really important questions to the study of demography. But when it comes to studying the maximum human lifespan, there's also a lot of problems and and challenges with with, with this sort of analysis. So one of them is that data in this context is very hard to, to come by high quality data because there's all these tendencies of people who are extremely old to uh, misrepresents, misremember their age. So, so it's very difficult to like have a proper study of this sort of thing. There's also a lot of people who would like to make bold claims over uh, the maximum human lifespan or the lack of it. And it's really hard to test hypotheses about these sorts of things. So we said, why can't we just take a statistical approach, just like the way a lot of demography, modern demography is working, and study the overall patterns of people who are living to these extreme ages and see if we can learn something about the world's increasing population, in addition to the patterns of people who live over age 110 and see if we can combine those things to have probabilistic forecasts of how old someone practically might live this century. So so not answer the question of if there's a maximum or not, but just say, how likely is it that if these trends continue, we'll see someone to live to various extreme ages, like 125 or 130. I I like the significance piece a lot. And, and, you know, this this issue of of some of the ingredients here, I mean, one is this this first key component, as you noted there, was that kind of this flattening of mortality after age 110. I thought that was kind of a, you know, all of a sudden I'm I'm thinking of the hazard function you want to be drawing in a failure time analysis class and in a survival time class. But also the idea that, that the pool of people that, that is sort of feeding into this probability calculation is growing. 
And then before we, you know, we'll dive into some other questions related to the types of data and where you sort of found reliable data for this. Can you talk about those two key ingredients to, to this calculation? So the first ingredient is the increasing population. I think this is uncontroversial. Uh, the, the world's population has been growing pretty significantly over the past century, and it continues to grow. And, and that's actually a, a major component of, of this sort of analysis. It's, it's maybe the, the, the biggest component here. So if we're talking about people to live beyond age 110, uh, you, know, you just like need people to actually reach that, that number. And you know, as the world population grows, I mean, if you think about the people who are age 110 now, you know, they were born in the, the early 20th century. The, the world population was much smaller back then. And over the coming several decades, just a lot more people were born. And this is because of population growth and so much of the uh, you know, developing and, and developed world. So, so that's a, a big aspect here. We just have more chances to see someone uh, you know, break these barriers just because there are so many more people. The, the second component is this idea of the flattening mortality after age 110. So the exact reasons for this are, are unclear, and I'm certainly not the person to talk about this. But but we do, uh, as or statistical demographers, we, we can study um, the, the patterns that we're seeing. So even though I can't answer the why, I can answer the it is happening or it's not happening. Um, and, and we do see this strong pattern. So, so people who reach age 110, we don't see strong differences in their mortality based on their, their sex, which is surprising, or where they, they live or where they grow up. I think that's also very surprising. But these are patterns that we're seeing across the, the documented cases of these super centenarians. And, and then the other thing that we see about them is that they tend to die at a 50% uh, year over year rate. So if you reach age 110, you have about a coin toss chance of living to age 111. And th this sounds very, very bleak, but this is the overall pattern that, that we're observing. Um, and it tends to stay flat, um, which is perhaps the, the most surprising aspect of this. So, so exactly why that's happening, I'm not sure. It could be that these people have excellent genetics um, or that they're doing things in their life that in, you know, promote their longevity. But, but this is the overall pattern we're seeing off of the, the thousands of documented cases of these supercentenarians. Could you talk a little bit about where you found the information you looked at in your study? Because you, you know, obviously you said you can't talk about like the why they're living so long, but can you talk about where you found the data for the populations to look at um, to give you this information? So the data comes from the International Database on Longevity. And this database has been a, a big effort of, of many different institutions to try and go through all these documented cases of people who have reached age 110, and then actually go through and make sure that there's a whole variety of supporting evidence to, to document their claim. So some challenges that uh, exist in verifying someone's age are the fact that, you know, if they were born in a country that did not have excellent record keeping when they were born. I mean, remember, we're talking about people who were born you know, at the end of the 1800s or the early 1900s, mostly. It's not too surprising to think that uh, many of these countries uh, would not have excellent records or those records would still exist. So a lot of the effort of this database was to go through and try and find records as best they could and see whether or not they met a sort of standard criteria. Um, and it wasn't just finding a birth record, but also finding records throughout that person's life to, to verify that you know, nothing funny had happened, there had been no name switching, something like that going on. So the remaining list of people are a group of people who have really, really highly verified um, birth and, and death records. And, you know, but, but one thing that was really striking to me is in looking at kind of the countries that were included in that, that final data set is that you have kind of U.S. and Canada plus European countries plus Japan. 
you know, so you, so there is a, you know, there, there's probably the the potential for the future for getting a lot more information, but, but, you know, South America, Africa, uh, you know, India, China, you know, there, this, this, this probability, I, I mean, so may, maybe I'm, I'm thinking that perhaps it's an underestimate, you know, for the calculation, given the, the, you know, when I think about kind of the size of the countries that are, have been omitted, or the size of continents that have been omitted, that, that, you know, the calculations, I, I, it makes a heck of a lot of sense what you all did in terms of being able to verify sort of the, the information as part of the modeling process. But it also makes me, me think a little bit about what, what in the future, how much more input into this, these probability calculations there could be. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. When we conducted this study, we wanted to be as perhaps conservative as possible, given the fact that in this field, there are so many people who make really bold claims. So when we did our analysis, we wanted to use really highly verified data. And we also wanted to only use population projections from the countries that we had had this data for of, of actual supercentenarians. Because we're not entirely sure that these countries are like other countries, or if this is you know a, a thing that is unique to those countries. So because of that, the, the, the population forecasts we're using are, are certainly not the population forecasts of the entire globe over the coming century. They're, they're actually quite limited. And in that way, our production may be very conservative. Michael, you called yourself a statistical demographer at one point uh, early in this conversation. And I wonder if you could just sort of explain for people who have not heard that term, what that means and sort of why you got interested in this particular area of statistics. Sure. So, you know, demography is the, the study of, of various population trends and statistical demographers uh, go beyond uh, more standard rules, uh, thinking about uh, birth and death counts, that sort of thing, and try to use statistical modeling uh, to understand broader uh, broader problems or, or broader patterns uh, under a statistical lens that includes uncertainty. So, so the key thing there is that you're trying to not only uh, have a good model that represents what's going on in the world, but also understanding the uncertainty behind it. I got into this field because of a professor in my department at the University of Washington. His name is Adrian Raftery, and he's uh, one of a few really excellent statistical demographers in our department here. Um, but he taught a class on statistical demography, and I, I took it as an elective for my PhD program. Um, I didn't really know what to expect, um, but I knew he was uh, an absolute expert at it, and, and I joined the class, and, and that's how I got into this. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, so, so you've talked a little bit about kind of the, the data that, that you were using as kind of this empirical base on which to do these projections. And, and you know, the, the, as, as many of the articles uh, noted that that cited your you know the work that you you did that there's a there was a Bayesian strategy here so there was some there was some prior information as well that perhaps you were you were using so can you talk a little bit about you know how how both what what was believed about these systems and then what data were available was was combined in terms of making some of these projections so in demography it's becoming more and more common to use a, a Bayesian method because it turns out that uh, you know, demographic patterns are, are pretty constant or at least slow changing over time. So if you have data on people's, you know, birth and death rates over the course of the past century, like that's a pretty good indi indication about what's going to happen over the coming century. And oftentimes you can pool information from one country or another to learn about uh, the demographic patterns of another country, uh, maybe that you don't have a lot of information on. So that's the type of thing that, that people do in Bayesian statistical demography. And that's exactly what we did here. So in our model, we have this general idea over uh, people's death rates when they are over age 110. And we use the information from these very highly verified supercentenarians over the past, I guess, 100 years 
and use that as our prior information in the Bayesian analysis. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking with the University of Washington's Michael Pierce. So the headline for the significance article is something like, could this century be a record breaker for, oh yes, let me, will this be a record breaking century for human longevity? John is holding up the article so I can see it for those of you who who cannot see. So I wonder, is it, is this going to be a record breaking century? What, what did your study find? So I feel pretty confident that this century will be a record breaking century for longevity. Uh, I can't say exactly by how much, but I do feel as if someone will break the current record for maximum human lifespan this century. So what does that mean? You got to, you got you know, we're all sitting on the edge of our seats, Michael. You got to let us know. I mean, what's the current record and what's the chance of breaking it? So the current record was actually set about 25 years ago by Jean Calment of French, of, excuse me, Jean Calment of France. She was 122 years old and 164 days when she died. Um, Currently, the record holder is Kane Tanaka of Japan. She is 119 years old currently. Um, so I'm not exactly sure if, if Miss Kane Tanaka will break the record. She certainly could. Uh, but the, the key thing is that we are expecting so many more people to reach age 110 this coming century that we think that this, this record will continue to be pushed out. And it's quite likely that someone could reach the age of 125 or 126 or perhaps more this century. So, so every person that reaches this, this 100 and, 110 mark starts flipping a coin. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Do, do I get to do I get to 111? Yep, heads. 100, do I get to 112? Yep, heads. So, if you can flip 10 heads in a row, you can get to to 120. Yeah, I know. It, it's funny. It sounds like a um, like almost too neat a pattern, but when you look at the data of, of these people, it, it is it's striking how close it is to that pattern. So, you got a fair amount of coverage uh, in news media about this study, and I wonder if you could just talk before we talk about maybe specifics. If you could just sort of talk about what your overall impressions were of the coverage of your work. Well, so like like most things related to statistics, and, and I can't blame people for this, uh, th- there's certainly a lot of misunderstanding about how statistics works and, and how studies like this work. Um, so so there, there was a little bit of coverage that did not really accurately represent what we were trying to say. So, uh, you know, we, we didn't want to make claims that someone would surely live to certain ages. All of this has a, a caveat of, uh, you know, under the assumptions of this model, under the data we have, that sort of thing going on. Um, and I think that because of, of those assumptions or the fact that we limited ourselves to certain countries, you know, our claims could be uh, too conservative or, or perhaps, you know, uh, not conservative enough. Uh, so, uh, you know, th- there's all of that. And that wasn't necessarily talked about in the, in the news media. That, that's not quite as flashy. Um, the, other, the other thing is that people tend to focus on, you know, how can I live to be 120 years old? Uh, the, the focus on the individual. And, and this sort of work is, is not about individuals. It's about broader population pattern. So I can't tell you anything about how you could live to be 120 years old. Um, and, and I can't do anything myself either. I don't know the answer to that question. But I, but I do believe that you know, we've seen so many people reach age 110. This pattern is really becoming clear. And because of that, I think people, someone will live to you know, these extreme ages. I think you got at least a partial answer. I mean, the, the partial answer is live to 119, then you got a half a chance. <laughs> and, and then repeat. Oh, statistics. <laughs> That's inductive reasoning. Come on. Yeah, good enough for yeah. me. I'll try. Yeah, well, and you know, I thought that you know, your description of some of the, the, the headlines really resonates because some are almost breathless. 
you know, as I as I looked at these, you know, it's just like lifespans of 130 years could be possible this century. Well, that's not what you really said. <laughs> you know, there were others that seemed to that some of the headlines really just sort of sounded a little more true to me. You know, like the idea that researchers say the probability of living past 110 is on the rise. But then here's what you can do to get there. So so it was <laughs> yeah. kind of like there was a fair rendering of, of kind of the conclusion, or at least a closer rendering than, than what I saw in some of the others. But then it was really kind of pushing, you know, kind of this this behavioral, this lifestyle choice, this some, little bit of the biology, under, biological understanding that was coming to play. So I thought that was kind of a, it was, it was interesting to see how your story was leveraged, you know, in, in multiple outlets. I mean, because it really captured imagination. I mean, it captured our imagination. I mean, heck, we wanted to talk to you, man. I mean, it was a, it was a, I mean, you know, that, that, that was, it was a lot of fun, but, but I just was really, really found it fascinating. And I, I know that, that Rosemary could probably talk a little bit about the experience of, of maybe an editor writing right. a headline that a journalist was, right. was capturing. Yeah, I know. And I, and I wonder too, sort of if like headlines are always designed, right, to catch your attention and to be flashy. And I don't know how closely you looked at the reporting, but I wonder, John and I have just finished writing a book on, on stats and, and news. And one of the interesting things we found was that sometimes headlines could be very flashy and then the sto stories sometimes were pretty solid. And I wonder if, if when in the reporting, if you felt like, were there moments where like the headlines were not doing the story justice or or maybe the reporters were closer to what you guys actually got than what was being sort of talked about? Sure. So in some cases, I did not look too deeply into the details because I just knew that the article was about something uh, that I, I wouldn't be too happy about. Um, but I will say that a number of people did reach out and write really informed articles that, that discuss these issues in, in more nuance. Uh, of course, they might still be writing stories that that do try to get at, you know, how people can live longer, healthier lives. And, and that's absolutely fine. But um, they weren't trying to make claims over, this is how you live to age 120. And that's really the key. So I'll, I'll give credit. Uh, there were some, some nice news articles in the Washington Post, as well as in uh, the University of Washington's news service that describe it in great detail, um, sort of the, the implications for society over this work, um, which is you know, a really key aspect of this, as well as the fact that you know, this is a model and that um, we, we make these projections about how old someone could live that doesn't necessarily apply to individuals. It's really interesting you raised that point because it did feel like a lot of the news coverage was very much like, again, as John pointed out, like here, here's how what you could do to live a long life. And it feels like there are a lot of implications for for us collectively, right? If people are living longer, even if they're not making it to 110, just the fact that human beings seem to be living longer, it does seem like there's a lot of stuff that we need to talk about that perhaps the news coverage didn't quite get at in the way it could have. Yeah, absolutely true. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're, we're certainly still, still seeing the, the world population increase, but we're, we are also going to see uh, these extremely old people, uh, their, their numbers as a, as a population group uh, to, to increase over the coming century. So, you know, if you live to age 100 or age 110, uh, you know, of, of course, like for, for the individual, that matters quite a bit. But as, as a population group, I mean, not only are we going to see a lot more people living to 110, we're also going to see a lot more people living to age 100. Um, and that's going to really significantly change this distribution of age in our society. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was a, that's an interesting point, because I, a lot of times when you see these types of stories, it's, it's, it's often framed in terms of the average life expectancy. You know, that, so it's in mm -hmm. it, the talk about what's going to happen with the extreme. What's the chance that, that this 
this large, this, this large extreme value is actually going to be bigger than a previously observed large extreme values. And that's, that's, that's a subtler story about distribution that I think is often covered. And I, 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 I think that's a real challenge. Yeah, I'm really happy you brought that up because this is actually something that um, we we discussed quite a bit when we were when, when me and my co-author Adrian Raftery were were discussing how to frame this paper. So so many of the researchers who studied this problem before have actually tied the relationship of a, a flattening average life expectancy over the the past several decades to the fact that uh, someone is not going to be able to live beyond a certain age. They try to create a relationship there. And something that we tried to say was, you know, the, the mean is not the maximum. I mean, the, these are, if you say it, if you say it that way, that, that sounds like a absurd claim to try and equate them together. Um, and they're certainly not. And when you're talking about a, a population that's as large as ours, I mean, the, the mean of a, a group of 8 billion people or, or more uh, is uh, definitely different than the maximum that that group could attain. Um, so, so that's the type of thing that we're seeing here. And, and we really tried to decouple those ideas when, when writing this, this research paper. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I was thinking about as I, as I read this was I, I was thinking about COVID. Mm. And, you know, not because it just doesn't seem like I can wake <laughs> up any day and not think about it. But, you know, but, but in particular, thinking about kind of the impact that, that was, has been observed in, in, in mortality. And uh, if, I think that I, what, what I saw was that if you looked at the total number of deaths in the United States, it was something like one in 400 U.S. citizens or residents of the U.S., but among age 80 and older, it was more like one in 100. And I'm just I'm, I'm curious to think about if, if you know, and your, your reaction to this, do you expect that, that maybe some of the impact, particularly of COVID among the oldest individuals who are at more risk of death with this disease, is this going to impact some of your probability calculations if you were to redo them? So it's really tough to say, but at first glance, I would say probably not too much. And the reason is, is that uh, when we talk about the, the maximum reported age of death, what, what we expect to happen by the end of this century it really relies on order of magnitude changes in, in the population of people reaching age 110. So one in 100 people over the age of 80, roughly uh, dying of COVID is an absolutely devastating burden on our society, absolutely. But it's not the type of thing that's going to impact this calculation specifically. Uh, what, what we're really requiring to happen is that you have you know, like 10, 100 times more individuals reaching age 110 uh, for us to actually see these sorts of noticeable uh, increases in the the maximum lifespan. You know, there's so much news coverage of this particular issue, even away from your own own research, right? There's a lot of stuff about like, you know, eat a eat a diet inspired by Japanese culture to live to be a hundred. I've seen that article or, so or many the blue times. Zone books. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 And so I I wonder if you know as we're wrapping up, if you given sort of what you research, what you've seen, and your experience now with media coverage, if you could sort of provide some insight into what people who are, you know, reading news or seeing news stories about this issue of longevity, right, in the human lifespan, what things they should keep their eye out for to make sure what they're reading is sound and is not just sort of boosterism garbage. Sure. How do you really feel? <laughs> don't don't hold back, Rosemary. I am a journalist. I feel empowered to say that. To say boosterism garbage. I've never used those words like that. Yes.
Well, so when you're reading news coverage about anything related to your longevity or your health, remember that uh, it's really important to think about, you know, how was, uh, th- you know, how did this recommendation come about? Was it through a scientific study that had a, a large enough sample size that it actually could be generalizable to you? Or was it only with a very small group of individuals who look absolutely nothing like you? Um, so, so that sort of thing is really important to remember. Uh, that's more general health advice. And then when it comes to studying your longevity, it's very unclear exactly the reason why people live to ages as extreme as this. You know, if, if you die because of a specific disease or because of a, a car accident, you know, that's the type of thing that one could prevent, one, one could uh, hopefully, you know, cure a disease, that sort of thing. But, but when it comes to living to this extreme of an age, it's not exactly clear how these people are surviving or dying. Um, and, and there's so many uh, untestable assumptions there. So, so because of that, I would say, you know, if, if you're trying to, to have a longer lifespan, just, just remember that there is quite a bit of uncertainty there. It might be something that is actually totally beyond your control um, that allows people or, or, or you as an individual to, to live to that extreme in age. And we just don't know at this point. So I'm, I'm curious, what, what would be next, the next study you would like to do that might relate to well, this? If there was a sort of a, <laughs> if there was a follow-up or a spin-off on this, you know, what, what, what kind of exploration or, is of interest? Well, so I think that as we uh, get more and more information on these super centenarians, these people who live to age 110, I would really like to, to do a, a deeper exploration of whether or not there, there are differences in individuals based on where they grew up or, or something like their sex or other qualities that, that we could really study. Um, currently, you know, we have a limited amount of data. So um, based on the data that we do have, we don't really see a difference there. Um, but but I do think it'd be interesting as we have more and more data on this, you know, as uh, people reaching age 110 are coming from countries that, that were able to maintain really accurate records that we can verify their claims. I'd like to study that more. Um, I also think that it'd be interesting to see how this pattern of this fat mortality uh, may or may not be changing or may extend to younger ages. Uh, th- there is some evidence right now that maybe, you know, age 110 is not the exact right start of, of this pattern. Perhaps it could be people who are age 108 or age 105. And I'd like to see how that's happening and how that might impact these projections. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks, Michael. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Stats and Stories, Apple Podcasts or other places where you find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net and be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.